0: And so now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker this day, the wonderful, delightful gardening, planting seeds, nurturing his flowers in his garden, and that means you and me, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Yep.
1: I'm going to have to, it's just so warm today, so I'm going to you don't mind. If you don't tell anybody, I won't. Do we have a drummer today? (laughs) I'm not doing that then. Anyway, good morning and welcome. Beautiful day, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to invite you. These are my beads, by the way, if you wonder what they are. Uh, Some friends... Uh, Norm MacLeod and Reverend Catherine MacLeod came back from um, Turkey and they went to Rumi's tomb and these are beads from little vendor sitting outside Rumi's tomb and I just thought, they're they're beautiful so there they are anyway, I'm going to invite you to stand if you'd like and sing a song with me stay seated if you'd like as well the words will be up on the screen behind me there they are thank you Darlene, awesome okay Here we go. And Stefan on piano, thank you. In this very room.
0: In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, is in this very room In this very room In this very room And so what I invite you to know with me One life Spirit's
1: life, God's life And as I turn my awareness in that direction I know that I'm transformed Shifted and changed to that life that I recognize, I claim as my own. And so I know that I am reminded I am the individualized expression of the infinite in form. And so I give thanks for this beautiful day. I give thanks for life. I give thanks for the beauty, the blossoming of the landscape the blossoming of consciousness within myself. And as I I nurture that, as I garden that in this season of new growth, I know that everything shifts and changes. So I welcome it all. I say, yes, I lovingly put down anything and everything that no longer is appropriate for me to carry. And with great love and appreciation, I know every good thing to inform, inspire, and resource myself and every one of us here today makes itself available in and through and as each and every one of us. And for this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again, Stephen. Thank you, ladies, for being here for the second service and sharing your beautiful music. It's just so, it's just so wonderful to be able to have all those voices and singing as one. We have been using um, Rhonda Byrne's book, Magic, and Rhonda wrote uh, The Secret. She's written a couple of books. I think this is her third book, but she wrote the the book, The Secret, which was made into the the, the film that a number of people uh, in in the New Thought community primarily have have, uh, experienced. Anyway, her latest book is The Magic, and magic is really around this idea of gratitude, what gratitude does for us in our lives. So when we, are in a, when we are in a state of gratitude, what we appreciate, appreciates. And so to find the things in our lives that we really love and we really care about, and to then to be able to express the gratitude, because that, as I say, what we appreciate, appreciates. Last week I said that gratitude is like steer manure. Whatever you spread it upon, it grows. So... Been doing a lot of gardening, as Reverend Connie said, and, and, and steer maneuver comes in handy when you're gardening. One of the things that I wanted to, and, and today's um, um, sharing is called The Magic Never Ends, which is the last chapter in Rhonda's book, The Magic. And in it, um, what we know to be true, and what Dr. Ernest Holmes discovered a number of years ago when he developed our philosophy and our movement, and it's not exclusive. Our, our, there's many forms of, of metaphysics taught on the planet. It, we, are, we are a representation of a, uh, a lineage that goes well past and way back before Christianity. And yet, what inspired Dr. Holmes, if you read Dr. Holmes' uh, Science of Mind textbook, there's over 322 references of Bible quotations that he expands upon within the textbook. So, our Science of Mind textbook, if you sign up for one of our classes in the fall, is really around taking that interpretation of how Holmes viewed it and his experience with it and expanding upon it in a way that gives it a new perspective. So, it's wonderful stuff. He is, even though we say we honor all traditions, which we do, but Dr. Holmes was tremendously influenced by the Christian uh, philosophy and approach. Well, what I wanted to share with you about the magic never-ending is that all thought creates. Every one of our thoughts creates. And what gives thought even greater potential and possibility is clarity. And so the way that we, that for myself and what I know about this teaching, and and Reverend Connie did such a beautiful job when she was uh, presiding and talking about practitioner, I know that I was reflecting, but I wouldn't be with you today if it hadn't been for a practitioner in my life. It also happened to be a, a practitioner that was a minister. But without that person sitting with me and looking at my entrenched beliefs and my biases and the things that I was dragging with me, without that person seeing me in a, in a new way in a new perspective, I would, I would never have, none of this would have ever been possible for me. And what had happened is I'd reached a point in my own experience in my own journey where I realized that, that I had nowhere else to run. I was, I was done exploring. I wanted it to be quick and easy. I wanted, it to be, I wanted the magic. I didn't want to have to do any work. I just wanted, I wanted magic. I wanted to say abracadabra and everything would be good. And not that it is impossible, but without doing the work up to the abracadabra, it, nothing happens, nothing shifts and changes. Because it isn't the twinkling of an eye, as the scripture says. But what is left out in there is that it, it's also the work that one goes on in one's consciousness so the twinkling of an eye can happen. Because it's instantaneous. So what it takes and requires, in my opinion, is practice. And, and I shared this at the end of my talk last uh, session because I wanted to. But what I would like you to consider, because I'm going to share with you a lot of ideas over the next 20 minutes. But what I'd like you to consider is think of, think of, and I think this is very, very important. Think of the process or process. Think of the process as the goal. Think of the process as the goal, not the destination think of the process as the goal not the destination so there's not one moment there's not one thing there's not one one um, landmark significant event that is going to be the destination but in fact the process of transformation is the goal and I like that because then I don't feel so much pressure I don't feel all this performance anxiety that everything's got to be fixed right now because that wasn't my experience so I'm gonna share a bit of that with you today what backs this idea up about practice and spiritual practice, and this is why we offer the classes, this is why we promote spiritual practice, meditation, study, prayer work, creating a vision for our lives, creating sacred covenants in our lives, going into a sacred healing circle and unraveling a story perhaps that's no longer appropriate for us. There's many layers to it, and it's really what's, what you're guided to, what's alive for you. But I think if we're paying attention, then the, the next door, doorway to walk through opens for us. So I want to begin with a quote I found um, this week called, uh, from the, a book called The Practicing Mind. And he begins the book by saying, Everything in life worth achieving requires practice. Everything in life worth achieving requires practice. In fact, life itself is nothing more than one long practice session, an endless effort of refining our emotions. An endless effort of refining our emotions. And I believe this is true for myself. I can only speak for myself. But it may, it may land somewhere with you. And, and so I offer this. When the proper mechanics of practice are understood, the task of learning something new becomes a stress-free experience of joy and calmness. Joy and calmness. A process which settles all, in all areas of, of life and promotes proper perspective of all life's difficulties. So what shifts for us is how we respond to life, how we show up. Because there's, there's challenges, there's struggles. You know, we, we have a lifetime of embodied beliefs and opinions and attitudes around certain things and how we are in the world. that Many times are just the, the story that we've adopted. And how do we unravel that story? Well, it takes practice. And sometimes it takes a lifetime. You know, um, for me, what brought me to the teaching... I was reminded this week when I was doing the reading and I was doing the reflection. uh, I didn't have... And Dr. Ken really touched... Dr. Ken Gordon was with us last week. He's our new spiritual uh, director and came in for my doctoral ceremony. And he did a beautiful job. But he talked about his experience with his parents. I didn't have... um, I had uh, the best parents you could possibly have at the level of consciousness they were at. But there was not a lot of... um, Peace and calm and joy in the experience. And what I realized is I didn't want to. I didn't want to replicate that experience. And so part of what we do on our journey, because I, I want to honor my parents, because they were they did everything they possibly could. They gave hundred percent. I mean, they had eleven kids. That was their dream. Does anyone here have a dream of having eleven children? Just let me know. See, they were unique in that. But anyway, that but that was their dream. And they did it. And so, but, but what I know is that if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have so longed for a different experience. I knew there was something different that I could experience. In uh, the wonderful work by Mary Mann and Morrissey, she talks about four principles that I think really help support us in practice. And they are the ideas of connection, connect, reflect, correct, and, re- and respect. Connect. In other words, connect with who and what we are. I mean, it's, it's unique in us in that what we, when we pray, we realize that it's the opening for us. That we don't pray to something, but we pray from a consciousness. That for us to, to, to shift something and change something in our lives, it's not about a, a magic spell as I referred to earlier as the abracadabra, but it's really embodying and developing the consciousness of the thing so it finds us by right of consciousness. Now, this is the law of attraction. So if you're looking for a loving relationship in your life, are you being, how are you showing up in the world? Are you showing up? Am I showing up demonstrating those qualities that become an immediate recognition for the like attracts like? But if I'm miserable and I'm sad or whatever I may be, guess what I attract? It's the way it works. It's the good news and the bad news. But the great thing is we're not stuck. And so to have that awareness and to reach out and get up, but so connect. To reflect, to look at our experiences and say, gee, is this working or isn't it? How can I change this? How can I adjust it? That's why it's beautiful to work with a practitioner because they can add some perspective. They can sit and let us pour our story out over and over and over again until we're done with it. And then they'll say, and what would you like to set some intentions for today and to prayer partner in that? And that's part of the correction to put down what doesn't work for us. And then to move into that consciousness of respect respect for ourselves respect for others dr holmes used to say that we that we ultimately really move from this in the, our journey is one to of complete freedom but not but not without light license in other words that we have freedom but not everything goes that is really about respecting and honoring life so napoleon hill to to piggytail onto what Mary Amanda Morris, he said about connect, reflect, correct, and respect. Napoleon Hill was given the charge by Andrew Carnegie back in the early 20s. He wrote Think and Grow Rich. And Andrew Carnegie laid down a charge and said, I want you to go study the wealthiest people in the planet right now because we want to record this information so we don't lose it and because I want more people to have this. And so Napoleon Hill, as the story goes, Carnegie had a stopwatch under the the desk as he was talking to him. And he said if it took him more than a minute to make up his mind, he was not going to give him the job. Of course, it wasn't much of a job because he didn't give him any money to do it. But Napoleon Hill said, yes, I will do that. And so Napoleon Hill went out and he started studying all of these great uh, people that that were the sort of the movers and shakers of the day in terms of prosperity. And the number one quality that he he recognized, the number one quality of abundance is peace of mind, peace of mind. The Buddha said, when there's peace inside you, That peace permeates to the outside. What a beautiful song, you know, this morning. But it creates that sense of peace. We all connect at that level. It spreads around you. uh, The Buddha continued, it spreads around you and in the environment such that people start feeling, they start feeling peace and grace. Ernest Holmes said, if there's anything we need, it is peace of mind. Anything we need is peace of mind because without it, life is not worthwhile. He, Dr. Holmes continues, peace of mind comes only when there is a personal, personal and collective sense of security. When we feel secure, when we know everything's okay. When we're not, we're not, we don't have that free-floating anxiety going on. So how do we get there? What story are we carrying with us that, that creates the discord and the discomfort and the lack or limitation, whatever it may be? And so that's our opportunity, and, and what Holmes would suggest is to go right back into prayer, affirm to prayer, there's one life, that life is spirit, that life is God's life, that life is perfect, and that life is mine now. And if that doesn't get there, say it again. If that doesn't get you there, say it again. But stay with it because it's the truth of our being, despite conditions, despite what's going on. He says, "This sense of security comes when there is a sense of belonging to the universe. is not that beautiful? We all belong. We all belong. Spiritual practice is not judging and diminishing ourselves over and over and over again. And it's a very popular idea. How, but, and, and so, you know, for me growing up in the environment I was, you know, my mother, my mother, especially because she was around most of the time, my dad was off working all the time, but it was very difficult for my mother to, to say anything of an affirmative nature to any of us because I think she felt like if she affirmed anything it would give us license to misbehave even further. I mean, I just think that's what was going on for my mom. Because I know that she, she loved all of us and wanted the best for us, as Dr. Ken said last week. So there wasn't a sense of belonging. There wasn't that deep abiding sense of, you know what, you've got great things to do. And you're going to screw up at times, but I love you. you know, and keep going, doing your work. You know, part of the, the challenge they have right now, I was watching a program the other day they're talking about young men in the United States and the, the, the young men in the United States, there's, a, there's this feeling that they are the number one in the world. They're number one in the world. Uh, but if they statistically look at how they rank in math, they're 29th in the world in math. They're 45th in the world in, in you know, different... They're way down the scale on just about everything. But in sense of, a sense of this false sense of, of, of who they are, this, this expand And what it is, it represents the egoic nature of the personality. We're number one in the world because I was born in America. Can you read? No, but I don't need to read. I'm number one in the world. It's very popular. It's very popular right now. I just saw a program last week that said that it's very popular that, that for, for young men to not do well in school. That's a cool thing. And we'll see how that works out for them. Because, you know, as, the, as the, the people from other countries that are thriving in, in India and China move over and buy property in the United States, the, these fellows will have jobs as landscapers and chauffeurs, and it'll work out wonderful for them. As I used to say to my stepsons, they spoke at the doctorate, I'd say, you guys keep studying, otherwise you're going to have to learn how to say, would you like that supersized? So Jesus knew that no one is is or ever can become sufficient unto themselves. This is Dr. Holmes once again. It is when the soul returns to its source and finds its true center in pure spirit that it enters into that peace which the wise one said the world cannot give. So it has to come from within us. And it is through connection. It is through that that first step in affirmative prayer. There's one life, and that life is God's life. And every time I say that and every time I engage in that practice, it becomes different for me. In a, in a very subtler, d- deeper way. So peace of mind, number one. Number two is good health. Ernest Holmes said health is the realization of perfect life. See, he always worked at the level of consciousness. Health is the realization of perfect life. In a Science of Mind textbook, he wrote, We Heal Thoughts. As a movement, if you wonder what we do here, we heal thoughts, not people. There is nothing, as Dr. Holmes said, to heal. There's nothing wrong with you or I other than the belief that we think there's something wrong with you or I. And if we can shift that thought, everything shifts and everything changes. Spiritual healing consists of changing psychological thought patterns. That's why we practice. That's why we connect, we reflect. Are these thoughts that I'm thinking valuable? Are they moving me into an experience that, that that is something that will change and shift my experience? And who I am. One of the things that practitioners will do for you or, and, and have done for me, and the reason I selected this, I think, is because it's so personal for me, is to sit with a practitioner, to, and this is why it takes time. It takes a number of years to become a practitioner, a minister in our movement. Because we need to practice sitting and listening to the story, but not buying into the story, not agreeing. To be able to sit in the in the reverence, the respect, which is the fourth step that Mary Manon Morrissey talks about, and understand this is this is the story and these are the facts, but this is the t- facts change all the time. How do we help? How do we witness the pain and not spread it and not support it? Mark Nepo says that when we get drawn into codependency and overthinking someone else's life. It's not the practitioner's job to give you advice. It's the practitioner's job to see you in the, in the perfection that you are. Even though the conditions of your life aren't perfect, even though there's many areas that you like improvement, the, the truth of who you're, you are and the being of who you are is perfection. And that's a challenge at times. When I was a new minister in Fillmore, I had a woman that came in, came in, and came in, and I kept working with her and working with her. She kept telling me, I'm broke, I'm broke. And I finally I started giving her money to help her out. And then I realized, you know what, I can't, I can't be a practitioner anymore. Because you've convinced me, you're broke. But I thought, what an awareness, what a great teacher. And pretty soon she wasn't looking for prayer work, she was just looking for me for more money. And I realized that wasn't helping her. As much as I wanted to see this young woman get, survive and, and, and thrive, and she was quite resourceful, I could, that I, I'd broken my vow as a practitioner. The only time I've ever fired a client... How to be a clear vessel, as Mark Nepo says. How to draw the toxins from those we love. How not to hold on to them. How to discharge them safely. And if we can gather some wisdom in these regards, how do we practice it and teach it along the way without lessening our compassion? So what I realized is I had to shift my level of love with this particular young lady. That this was not love that I was was enabling. And I was was overthinking someone else's life. And none of that was my business. It, it was spiritual arrogance on my part. The third, the third Napoleon Hill quality of an abundant life, positive and fulfilling relationship. Epicurus, of all the things that wisdom provides for living one's entire life in happiness, is the possession of friendship. Is the possession of friendship. And so we get to look at our friendship because we attract to us who we are. It's the way the law of attraction works. And so as we, our consciousness shifts and changes many times, our experience with others shifts and changes. In our opinions, one of the great things that Dr. Ken talked about last week, Dr. Ken Gordon uh, talked about that we, we have an experience with someone and then that becomes, we color the whole relationship with that one interaction. And I can think over my life, how many times have I had a, have I had a short interaction with somebody? And then I bring that bias to every, um, every communication that I have with them ongoing. Ernest Holmes in his wisdom said, and he understood this so clearly, he said, we are bound by our very freedom. We are bound by our very freedom. Our free will binds us. Our free will binds us because we have choice we've been given dominion we've been the infinite intelligence in its infinite wisdom said go ahead and make up whatever story you want to make up about anything you have dominion if you read it in Genesis you'll read it and and in this creation story I think it's the second one where where mankind named everything and we're still doing it as good and bad right or wrong but that's our free will why is there why is there discord in the world Why are there, you know, people say, well, how can God let this suffering go on? Well, people have meant you've been given free will. You've been given free will to destroy the world. Hopefully not, but I mean, when we see wars, when we see atrocities happening, when we see people believing in things, it's a result of free will. But the other side of that coin is there's such grace and beauty and opportunity and creativity and freedom for all of us. And this is a movement, this is the movement that, that helps support that. I thought Dr. Ken made a great point. You know, we talk about our marketing. We talk about the marketing. We've done all this branding for, we have the new name and we have a new sign and a new logo. And he said, it's interesting because we think of ourselves as a, a movement that appeals to the liberal mindset. And yet he said, there's no, there's no better way of thinking that also appeals to the, what we would call politically the conservative mindset. We teach self responsibility. We teach that if we shift our consciousness, if we take charge of our lives and shift our consciousness, our lives shift and change. It never occurs to me. I'm not trying to maneuver my way into a situation where I can find a a government program that will take care of me for the rest of my life. I don't even think of those terms. And if you're doing that, it's okay. I just don't even think of those terms. I'm looking at how can I be the most creative and how can I be the most beneficial on this planet so that I can have the largest impact for good while I still have the energy and the time. And if you think of it, those, those, are, those are very much in alignment with what a conservative mindset would say. Take responsibility for your life. Stop looking for people to save you because they can't. You have to save yourself. And I'm not saying it's good or bad or right. but I never thought of it in terms like that. I said there's a whole new perspective. So why are not we just trying to market to the cultural creatives when we, realize we, we have such a great gift to, to share with, with everyone? We believe in the divinity of everyone, the possibility of everyone, the, the, the opportunity and the possibility that lives in everyone. That everyone has gifts and talents, and we want to help support that and give that to the world. So it doesn't matter what political party you're a member of. It just remember, it, it, It's just a reflection of what's inside of you. And that's the consciousness that Holmes talked about. Fulfilling relationships. Number three or number four, meaningful work. Meaningful work. That that our, our our life, the work that we have, is just so it's such a wonderful opportunity to give our gifts. Are you doing the work that you're called to do? Does it bring you to life? Does it inspire you? I had this big long paragraph about the inspiration that Dr. Holmes shared, and I want to I'll bring it next week. But But our work, you know, when I was when I was a young, I went to California. If you don't know, I'll tell you the story real quick. I went to California in 1979. I was going to be a world famous actor, make a bunch of money, and then not have to hang out with anybody ever again. And then I found this teaching, and the things, and so what it was was this longing for it was longing for for love. It was longing for the connection. And I love the creativity. I love the opportunity to do the whole thing with the acting. But when I when I was there, I worked as a carpenter. I had done construction work a little bit when I was in university, and when I got to California, I started working with carpenters, first as a helper, and then over time, I became more proficient. And as I got more proficient, I started doing little side jobs on the weekends when I wasn't working steady for someone else, and that worked out really well, but I wasn't working all the time. And so then I went and got my contractor's license, and then I started bidding work. And as I did that, um, what it, what it, I, I loved the whole idea of the freedom, and it was, there was no freedom in it, by the way. But I love the idea of uh, that what I thought was what it was, was freedom and this opportunity to uh, take my skills and really make big bucks. What I found out was that I had, a great, I had a great capacity to hammer a nail and put things together really well. I had very little capacity as a businessman to ask for what was ap- appropriate. And so for many, many years, I would, I would go along and I'd be okay, I'd be getting along, you know, paying, keeping ahead of the bills, but I never really was, was staying ahead or putting any, anything excess away. So if I misbid something, It would take extra time and extra energy to complete it. And I would usually get it done, but at great expense to my relationship with my wife at the time and my children. And many times we would end up digging into our pockets because there wasn't enough at the end to get it done. And so I began to realize that I needed to shift this. This would carry, because I was in the teaching at that time. And it took me a long time to shift it. It didn't happen overnight. It was very uncomfortable to go up to people. When, because what happened is I had, a lot of, I had attracted to me, by right of consciousness, I had tra- attracted to me that people were looking for someone that they could get as much out of as possible um, and, um, and pay as little as possible. But I didn't realize it at the time. But this is how consciousness works. So once I started to say to people, yeah, I, I, I negotiated we're going to remodel your kitchen, but I'm not going to do your bathrooms along with it because that's not part of the deal. And once I started to have that conversation, it was very uncomfortable for me. Those clients wouldn't hire me anymore. So I had a whole shift in clients. I, so I got to tie them back to the universe to use a, a spiritual practice. But it was very scary, because I thought, what, who's going to replace these people? Because even though, the, the, even though I stepped up in, this, in the, a level of consciousness that, that really lined up well with them, i got to replace them now. Well, it didn't take long, because if you have talents and you're willing to work, you know, the, the void is always filled. Dr. Holmes said, the universe abhors a, a vacuum. But in that process, it took years and years of making that shift. And it was very interesting, because by the time I got really good at it, all of a sudden this door opened. I was done with my ministerial training. But that was the process. It was, it, that was part of the, the litmus test for me of seeing where I was in consciousness. Because if you're in victim consciousness, if you're always giving your gifts away, by right of consciousness, you will bring somebody into your experience that will, will, will do that dance with you. I don't want to say exploit you or victimize you, but they'll do that dance with you. And I had that experience over and over and over again. And I began to hate what I did. I began to hate the carpentry. And I thought, my God, you know, what else can I do? I can't possibly be a minister. That's just an awful job. (laughs) It just wasn't on my radar screen. I I mean, I love the teaching. I see what was happening, but there was no way I was going to go do this. But never say never. But the point being, and I I give you that personal illustration, but it took me years to build that and shift that consciousness. But it took as long as it took. And I'm really good at negotiating now. I have no problem now. When someone says to me, I'm going to do this, I'll say, okay, so you're going to do this and this. It's not a problem now. But I was never groomed with that, that kind of skill set. And so if that's your experience, but I share it with you. So to have meaningful work also means that there's value in it for you as well as for the other person. That there's something that, that you receive in exchange. That's what good business is. You receive something in exchange. That's the, the, the giving and the receiving of life. That's an abundance consciousness, to have meaningful work. I was, if you've noticed, we've done some painting around here, and we've, and we've got our new steps in, and we're, we're cleaning the place up. And one of the great realizations I have coming to Edmonton is I've been able to do, take my carpentry skills and use them personally in ways that I could never have imagined if I hadn't gone through that experience. And I also am able to do it here. Yeah, This week, I've been trying to stay ahead of these painters I've got going. I've got two guys from the Bissell Center and we're trying to paint things cuz we just need to get paint on the building it's been 10 years and if you notice it's been peeling and anyway i'm trying to in every corner i go into there's something that's rotted away and so what i'm doing is i'm tearing it out as fast as i can and trying to replace it and what i also know is that at some point in time we're going to have to look at how we do facility we're going to have to look at renovating or doing something because that sweet little office space over there is on its last legs, I gotta tell you. There's some windows I just took out the other day because they all were falling apart and crumbling. But it's an old building. But I thought, well, isn't this interesting how the infinite works? Isn't it interesting how my consciousness as carpenter still matches up beautifully with something and so I can pour my love into it? Not that I wanna be doing that all the time. But it's just, it's, it's, this is where we're at right now. So it's a beautiful thing. But what I, what I learned to hate all of a sudden I realized what a, beautiful, what a beautiful gift to have the comfort level of understanding and being able to do the assessment so that I can say, okay, we just need to tear this out. We'll, put some, we'll, we'll get rid of these windows and we'll board it up for the time being. We can always put windows back in if that's what we decide to do. But to not be in a panic about it. And I thought, isn't it interesting the way the universe works? So, but meaningful work. And, and what gives it meaning is and to be able to give our love to it. The meaningful work and freedom in the material realm. To live in freedom. You know, there's a lot of studies about prosperity on the planet. One of the, one of the things that I've asked all of our people in, in leadership to do over the last couple of years is to take Mary uh, Morrissey's course. And I'm not going to name it because I get feedback when I name it and I'm, I'm done with that. But it's a wonderful course and we invite people to take it and we offer it frequently. And. Um, uh, but what it is, it's about a shift in... And all this information I'm sharing with you today, it comes from that. But it's a shift in consciousness. It's a shift in consciousness. So you can stand in the flow. If, if what, what I know about the material world is that if I don't have enough, I'm under a lot of stress. I don't have peace of mind. I don't have good relationships because I don't have time to be in relationship with anybody because I've got to work my third job. I don't have good health because I'm I'm just worn out from working all the time. And it's certainly not meaningful because I can't give it that much attention. I can't bring my grace and my and my beauty to it. So in freedom in the material world, as Mary beautifully says, the the purpose of it is to have enough, have enough freedom in our lives so that we can give our gifts to the world. That's the only reason to have enough. And I love that. Because I believe everybody has gifts and skills and talents waiting to be shared. Peace of mind, abundance, the, the top five from Napoleon Hill. Peace of mind, good health, positive, fulfilling relationships, meaningful work, and freedom in the material realm. How do we, how do we nurture that? Once again, remember, it's important, I believe, to, to make the goal the process, not the destination. Not a number, not a, a benchmark to reach. although those things will be part of it. And so, as she said, the four, the four things that are most important to do that. Connect. When we connect, we have peace of mind. When we make that deep investment in our own spiritual practice, we find that, we find that beautiful space within us where, this, where spirit and I, you and I connect. When these ladies sing, I connect it like that. It opens me. opens your heart. There's one life, God's life. That life is my life. That's for me. I've been telling the people in the, in the, in the, the class, whenever you see something good, say, that's for me. That's for me. Build that consciousness of the thing. Connect. Reflect. How can I be differently in this? How can I do things differently in this? And then to correct. In that reflection, we come to the correction. How, how would a person that lives this life act? How would I operate? How would I act? To, to, to live a life of freedom and joy and expectation. And to get up every day and say, you know, so, this, is the, this is as Mary would say, this is a new baby day. Something wonderful is happening here. I didn't know that the choir would be here today. It was wonderful to walk in here and hear this, this chorus. And so I, I said, thank you, God. When I heard it, I said, thank you, God. Thank you for the ears to hear this. The freedom in the material world. What freedom do you have right now? You know, Oprah Winfrey, I was going to start today with a quote from Oprah, and I didn't use it, but Oprah talks about this at the, at the uh, beginning of... Uh, of the book by uh, Rhonda Burns. You know, Oprah has been an amazing woman. You talk about somebody with a ministry that's evolved and continues to grow. You know, when I think of Oprah and in, in her stepping down, I was reading about St. Francis this week. I love St. Francis. He's one of my heroes. And St. Francis was upset they were building a church. They wanted to come and they wanted to build a really nice church where he had, cre- he had re- um, helped rebuild the church. And so he was t- uh, going to Rome To speak to the Pope and say, don't do this. Don't do this. This goes against everything we stand for in the Franciscan order. Because we want to just take what's there and use it well. But we're not about an opulent church. And he got very sick on the way to Rome. And he had to stop. And while he was convalescing and trying to get his strength back, he had a vision. And he said, the vision, what the vision said to him was, you've done your work there. Your work there is done. So let it go. And so he just, he, once he got his strength back, he went back to Assisi. He went back to home. And I think it speaks to all of us. What are we carrying with us? What is it, where is our work done? So we can move. And so when I th- think of Oprah, you know, when, I, I miss her. I miss going home. I used to record her and watch her all the time and I loved everything she, she put on there. But her work was done and she moved on to some other, she moved on to something. This is the nature of life. It isn't static. She came and gave her gifts and she built, she helped shift and change consciousness and plant seeds. And you and I have that same opportunity. What she said at the beginning of the, or it's actually at the beginning of the last chapter in Mar- uh, Rhonda Burns' book. She said, I started out Giving thanks for small things. This is where we can all start. Giving thanks for small things. And the more thankful I became, the more my bounty increased. I'm thankful for these beautiful beads somebody brought back. I'm thankful for this beautiful teaching. I'm thankful for so many things. I'm thankful I know how to pound a nail straight. That's because what you focus on expands. This is Oprah again. And when you focus on the goodness in your life, you create more of it more opportunities, relationships. Even money flowed my way when I learned to be grateful no matter what happened in my life. That's why it's so important. The consciousness we do anything from is so important. Number one, through these ladies showing up, sitting through two, two of my talks, thank you ladies. Not one of them has fallen asleep this second service. I'm so impressed. And I'm grateful. But, but the point is, it's that simple practice. I was, I was talking to Brenda before service, and she's, she's, she's read the book, and she's using it. She says, like, I just love this little book. It's a simple little practice, but it's powerful, and it's wonderful. I'm just so grateful for this teaching. I'm so grateful for the, the, what we stand for as a movement, and for all the people that stand with us, whether they're here today or not. I just give thanks, and so it is.